This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Almighty and loving God, you are the source of all love and light. We have gathered here this morning as a community of faith, seeking a word of life from you. So speak to us that we may find a love that will ignite our hearts with your gospel. Speak to us that we may learn of your ways. Speak, O Lord, that we may be the church of your choosing and a church by your calling. This morning we pray, O Lord, that you would speak. In your name we pray. Amen. Matt is not with us this morning. Uh, he is under the weather, feeling sick. So, But we will carry right along and turn to page number 77. Uh, stand as you are able as we sing, How Great Thou Art. Almighty and loving God, by your word, give us understanding, give us wisdom, that our hearts and minds may be open to know your truth and your way. Amen. Our first reading today is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, 
nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The epistle reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its powers. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You please stand for the reading of the gospel from John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold the doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered this, that it is, that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to do it, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Money changers were necessary. 
Also, unblemished animals were needed for sacrifice, and people would have bought those at the temple. But did all of this have to take place in the area of the temple in which it was the only place where Gentiles could worship? Could not all this activity have taken place outside of the sacred space of the temple? It was like an open-air market with all the buying and selling, and I'm sure it was annoying and frustrating to the would-be worshipers with all the people yelling, the sound and the smell of the animals and the coins clanging away. And I'm sure it infuriated Jesus to see a sacred space of worship be used for such purposes. In the other Gospels, uh, Jesus says they have turned the temple into a den of robbers, suggesting that the money changers were changing uh, at an exorbitant fee for their services. But uh, this detail is missing in John's Gospel, and it seems for John's Gospel, Jesus is upset by the act of buying and selling on temple grounds. Also, there... These people are not malicious people trying to oppose God. If they knew they were in direct opposition to the Lord, I'm sure they would have stopped what they were doing and set things straight. But that's not how things are done, is it? You know, it's a statement that we always hear in the church. We've always done it that way. They believed the way that the temple was being run was the right way. However, I'm not sure Jesus is a big fan of the status quo. So the temple authorities want to know what authority Jesus has to do such things. And his answer is a warning, not just to the temple authorities, but to all of us. Jesus answers, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And it seems there is a misunderstanding, as the temple authorities have no understanding as to what Jesus is talking about. His disciples will understand only after the resurrection. And there are many people and many religious institutions that think they understand Jesus completely And perfectly, the Jews, the Muslims, the Christians, all think they have Jesus pegged. We have understanding, right? The evangelical crowd think they have Jesus figured out. The mainline denominations, that's us, think they know better than most. The Roman Catholics think they're right there with it. The Greek Orthodox think they have a clear understanding. Even the KKK think they have Jesus all figured out. All through John's Gospel, it is clear that both friends of Jesus and enemies of Jesus do not understand clearly who he is. And the implication is why do we think we are any better? Everybody thinks they have Jesus figured out until Jesus comes through the door with a whip of cords overturning tables and making a mess of our understanding. Listen to what one author writes. The message to John's readers is clear. 
You cannot understand Jesus until you have the whole story. During Lent, we are reminded that the story of Jesus culminates at the cross, but it does not end there. Taking only parts of the story will lead us to an incomplete and inadequate understanding of Jesus. And that might leave us in a temple of our own construction that is dedicated to the purposes of God, but actually stands in opposition to them. Now, I know it's uncomfortable to see Jesus in such a position, throwing around a whip and overturning tables. But it is here that we see Jesus the prophet. He is speaking God's truth, truth, even if it was an unpopular opinion. Early Israelite worship was focused on ritual and animal sacrifice surrounding the temple. And as you read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the ritual as well as the animal sacrifices are spelled out in excruciating detail. But by the time you get to the prophets, there is a shift taking place as the prophets are speaking against the ritual that is not infused with the devotion of the worshiper. It means that the ritual cannot be separated from the heart of the believer. Just listen from Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Or from the prophet Amos. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like an ever-failing stream. Or from the prophet Micah. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 10, rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And of course, Psalm 51, a psalm of David. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, would not despise. So we see this shift that the ritual without understanding and devotion is no longer an acceptable form of worship. 
the prophets want ritual worship to be an act that deeply penetrates a person's life to the point that it affects and even changes how they approach and how they live life. So Jesus walks into the temple, which he sees more of a market than as a house of prayer. And it's here that preachers will start talking about church reform. It might even talk a little bit about the Reformation of the 16th century, but let's get right to the point. Churches, as well as Christians, do not need to let their faith stagnate and run through the motions of worship. We need to have a discipline in place where we are devoting our lives to Jesus on a daily basis by questioning and putting those things out of our lives that would cause us to have less devotion to the Lord. And you will want to do this with all the intensity of Jesus flipping over tables and driving out money changers from the temple. But the real temptation of this passage is to see Jesus with the whip of cords and overturning tables and to pick up our own whip and to start overturning tables on our own. The temptation is to think that we have more in common with Jesus than those who are the object of his judgment. And Jesus is speaking and acting as a prophet of God who is bringing God's truth into the temple. How much more so does he need to bring such truth into our lives? The temptation is to point the finger elsewhere when we should point the finger at ourselves. Why do we see so much sin in others while seeing none in ourselves? Who is to say Jesus wouldn't walk in here overturning tables and drive us out? And again, it's not some evil of all evil that Jesus is confronting here. It's probably at the request of the temple authorities that the money changers are there in the first place just to make sure that things are running smoothly so people can worship God through the traditional rituals. But what has happened is the institution had become complacent, tired, and sleepy. It was business as usual as the sacred was becoming mundane. And it can happen to any institution and any church and any person when the sacred act of worship becomes a ritual lacking any devotional whatsoever. It is when the worship of God has no impact on our lives outside of the sanctuary. And this is when Jesus comes in with the prophetic voice of the Lord breathing life into us. It is a judgment that is awakening, redirecting, and life-giving. So rather than make up our own whips and try to join in with Jesus, which would only amount to fanning the flames of our own self-righteousness, I think a better use of our time here 
would be to sit in confession and reflect upon the reasons why Jesus may enter our lives with a whip of cords overturning tables. And while it's easy to sit in judgment of others, it's hard to sit in judgment of ourselves. And it's just not judging ourselves, but it's seeing what we need to do to change. It is being able to see so that we may change to look more like Christ. This is the tension that we as individuals and as a church must live within. Without the prophetic voice, then we may begin to just go through the motions of our faith while being less devoted to the Lord. And the fear is that there would be no difference at all between the church and the culture. The prophetic voice of the Lord allows us to hear the Lord in his righteous judgment as it pertains to us and not someone else. It helps us to keep the, the devotion of our faith front and center. And if we are to live a life of repentance, then we will have to listen to the righteous judgment of the Lord that we may learn of his ways. We are not perfect. And if we are to turn toward the Lord to become more like Christ, then we will have to understand that Jesus speaks for us. He speaks with us. He speaks to us. And there are times when he speaks against us. If Jesus is to be our guide and our Lord, then we will have to listen to him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.